Welcome in everyone to episode 141 of the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damien here with David and Matt. Uh, today we're going to talk about the White Sox hiring a new GM, uh, the multiple waiver claims that, of players we talked about last week. Uh, we had a player get arrested this week, a uh, historic uh, season hits its uh, a milestone, and some call-ups, uh, some high-profile call-ups that is. But before we get to that, David, how are you doing this week? Um, doing all right. You know, we had the, the long weekend there. Happy Labor Day, everyone. Uh, nothing of note happened on Labor Day, but it was good to have college football back. And, um, <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, it's good to have the NFL coming back this week. Um, you know, other than that, yeah, had a nice time having some, some time off there and got to go, uh, hang out with my girlfriend all weekend. So that was good. Uh, how you doing, Matt? Pretty good. Uh, by the way, good job not fumbling the intro there. Um, yeah, I would never. I know, I know Clemson people have kind of fumbled a lot lately, so uh, <sighs> not, not me. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I had, a, I had a good weekend. I, I went to the went to the Auburn football game on Saturday, which was was pretty good. And uh, I um, watched some baseball over the week, and it kind of sucked for me being on the East Coast or close to the East Coast. And uh, the Braves played on the West Coast last week because they were starting every game at like 9 p.m. And I kept falling asleep during the games and stuff, even though it was kind of a great week for the Braves. And uh, I, uh, but it, it was fun. And uh, yeah, I uh, had a good, good Labor Day. And uh, how are you, Damien? Imagine your college football team getting embarrassed on national TV. Oof. Couldn't be me, right? Yeah, we right. won't see well, Oregon happen. Oh wait. Oh wait. Well, LSU <laughs> the other one. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it was a good week. College football is back. Um, you know, I I think at one point I had nine different games going on in the house. Like it's just it was so fun, and uh, a lot of good racing was on this weekend too. We had Darlington for the uh, Xfinity and Cup cars, and that's always a, a good race as well. And I'm prepping for vacation, which I can't wait for it. Next week, I will be heading to uh, Tennessee for the Bristol races. So um, I don't know if I'll be on next week on the episode or not. I got to figure that out. Um, but it's been been a fun weekend just prepping for that. I'm excited and, and college football and NFL starting back. So uh, it was a it was a fun one, but let's go ahead and jump into our, our talk here. And we'll go ahead and start in Chicago with the Chicago White Sox hiring Chris Getz as their new GM, basically promoting from within. Um, what was his previous title? Was was it vice president? If I'm All not right. mistaken, I'm looking it up, but I think you're right. I think it was farm. He was farm director, wasn't he? Was he? I I'm trying so. to see. Who's there? He oversaw the minor league system there. Whatever uh, their title yeah, for that was. He was promoted as assistant general manager, uh, and he was the new senior vice president and GM. So. Uh, basically, the White Sox still just promoting from within of their um, kind of horrendous front office already up to a new GM. Yeah, this was a um, this was a move that is not surprising because it's the White Sox, but it's kind of stays in line with the problems that they've had. Um, you know, they've had the same GM and. I mean, it's kind of GM combo for like 20 years, more than 20 years in Rick Hahn and Ken Williams. And, uh, you know, they let them go not long ago. And you would think that they would try to get a new voice in here as the fact that, you know, they just had the same voices for so long and it's been, you know, it hasn't worked out. I mean, it's been, they've been through like four rebuilds and none of them have worked. And, um, 
you know, but instead they just promote somebody from within that was overseeing the fa- the farm system, which has really been not great over the last several years. They they've had some good guys come up through it, like Luis Ro- uh, Luis Robert and um, you know Tim Anderson came up. I don't know if Chris Getz was even there when Tim Anderson was there, but um, you know they've they've had a few guys come in, but they really haven't done a good job drafting and developing. And then. Um, you know, and and the fact of the matter is that it sounds like this was kind of influenced by Dayton Moore, who has been one of the lower tier GMs for a long time, and and got fired from the Royals last year. And Tony Larusa, believe it or not, apparently still has uh, ownership's ear there in Chicago with the White Sox. So um, this is an interesting hire. Uh, you know, I'm sure. Um, you know, I, it's I guess it's possible that Chris Getz has some great ideas and you know, just wasn't able to air them out, but I highly doubt it. I think that this is just kind of a typical White Sox move. So we'll see what happens, but it was, I was not super impressed with this move. Yeah. So Chris gets started off as their director of the minor leagues um, and director of player development. He then shifted into a role as the assistant GM to Rick Hahn uh, in 2021, which is the role he was holding until now. So, um, you know, this is a Jerry Reinsdorf move through and through. And if you've ever watched the Chicago Bulls, you might have heard of them, you know, a guy named Michael Jordan. Um, and then you might have also heard of a team called the Chicago Blackhawks. Jerry Reinsdorf owns all three of these teams. He runs them all exactly the same with, you know, a lot of promoting from within the front office gets a lot of a lot of leash, a lot of wiggle room. And then when it all goes bad, he fires them and hires their subordinates. And it all it's just a, a vicious cycle of, uh, you know, a tank until they acquire some homegrown stars and then, you know, rebuild from there. It's very it would be very frustrating to be a White Sox fan. It's very frustrating as a Blackhawks fan. I'm sure it's frustrating for the Bulls fans as well, um, just because Jerry Reinsdorf is this this hands on owner that doesn't ever you know make the decisions that make the team better for the long run and doesn't invest the money into the team but he goes for these like big brain hires that don't help anything right like chris getz wasn't a an you know he wasn't getting any in 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 interviews with any other teams this isn't a guy who is like highly sought after but of course, it's Jerry Reinsdorf's guy who just, you know, gets promoted. And the, the quote from the White Sox was, oh, this is a guy who already knows our organization. We don't have to spend a year learning the organization. And that's exactly the, the wrong mindset and the kind of mindset you're going to want if you're going to have a team that, you know, continues to be mediocre, continues to underperform to expectations when, you know, just a couple of years ago, we were talking about this team as a World Series contender. And now, you know, they're selling off at the deadline and uh, you know, they're firing a lot of people and it's just a a really bad situation where at the very least, right, if Chris Getz is your favorite candidate, at least have a search, at least go out and get some some guys who can come in and say, OK, this is my plan for the organization. I, I had to take a look at it and this is what I think we can do with the White Sox, because maybe you discover that someone else has a better plan. But instead of that, they just promote immediately and it. It's going to keep this organization going the same direction it has been for years, which is kind of a, a cycle of, you know, bad to good to bad to good, uh, but never great and never sustained. Yeah, you know, it's not really a great move when it's usually unanimously like disliked across the entire industry of people in the game, fans and just 
everything we've seen has just been basically negative about what they're doing here. Not not specifically about Chris Getz. Like he could turn into a fine GM, but it's the process behind it and them just not like David said, just not even having the search here. It's just head scratching and it's following down the same path that you've already done. And it's probably why your team's not successful. Um, so I hope that Chris Getz works out, but um, man, it's, it's not a great look uh, the way they did this. Uh, so let's go ahead and stay in division though. Um, and we talked uh, last week about the multiple players that got put on, uh, on waivers that could be claimed. Uh, well, the, since they're the Cleveland guardians uh, decided to claim Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez and Matt Moore from the angels um, and basically try and load up. They were, what, I think five games back in the division yeah. um, from the Minnesota twins at the time of the claim. Then they started a big series yesterday, a three-game series with the Minnesota Twins. Lucas Giolito was on the mound. And uh, Matt, how did that how'd that one go? Didn't go well. Um, Lucas Giolito yesterday gave up nine runs in that game, and the Twins ended up scoring 20 runs in the game. They won 20-6. to six. So that was a uh, very interesting uh, start there for Lucas Giolito in, in Cleveland. Um He's really struggled this year, and, and kind of because of the name value, people kind of were, you know, still at the deadline thinking that they could kind of fix him. And, you know, he, he's really – this is really kind of on two years where he's really struggled, though, and um, not a not a good outing there. I mean, this this move in general with the Guardians, like, it's kind of one of those things where your, your, your team is not very good. You're well under 500, but you're only five games back. You've got a bunch of games against the Twins left, so it's like when you know if you can figure out a way to you know sweep that series this week, then when you at the, when they're making the time at the at the time of the moves, sweep the next series. You're only two games back, and like with a month to play, so I mean that would be a very you know that and that's very doable. But you know when you go in and you get blown out in the first game and if you lose the other two then it's probably over so um definitely uh you know definitely cleveland you know they i kind of like that they kind of went for it here but at the same time it you know I, they really needed more than uh lucas giolito who i mean he's just he just hasn't been very good this year and then a couple of relievers one of which has hasn't been great so um but we'll see what happens with them. You know, maybe they can win this next two. I think they're tied right now in, in game two of that series. So maybe they win today and tomorrow and, and can make it interesting. But, um, but yeah, it, it wasn't a, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think it's moving the needle, but. Yeah. So we, we did a bad job covering this last week because it kind of dropped on us right before the episode hit. Um, there's going to be grievances filed for this uh, by a lot of teams, especially the back half of the league. Uh, th- this is kind of a breach of competition. And this is, you know, it's the angels giving up on the season, punting, uh, you know, trying to get under the waiver or the, the luxury tax, which they did not do. Uh, uh, Randall Grichuk went unclaimed and it kept them above the luxury tax. So, you know, this move doesn't even work out for the angels. A uh, bunch of teams had claims in, we know the, the Cubs had claims in. we have the Marlins had claims in on all of these players. And yeah, it just, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where this is helpful to the guardians and the reds respectively and no one else. And, um, you know, I, I think Harrison Bader already scored a game winning run this week against the Cubs. So, 
this is a you know this is a, a something you don't want to see and i i think maybe a reinstitution of the august trade you know the waiver trade type of thing should kind of come back because that this isn't this isn't the spirit of like of baseball you you can't hit a trade deadline and then go oh it's it's like the equivalent of like a fantasy team manager just dropping all their players at the end of the season because they well they were losing anyway um i i, I don't like it i don't think it's good for baseball that teams are willing to do this and um you know yeah you're matt's right right the guardians get a little better but obviously it didn't work out already and you know the, the reds get a little better they got some help in the outfield where they needed it but they could have made these trades at the deadline and they didn't uh, you know it's it's a kind of a free mulligan because these were already teams that were bad and had bad records that were able to pick up these claims yeah well, the thing with the Angels guys is, and, and the Yankees, a guy with Harrison Bader, like, I don't think they were available at the deadline because, they, or they, I mean, some of them got traded to the Angels, but, yeah. and overpaid for by the Angels. So, yeah. but I mean, Matt Moore and Hunter Renfro weren't available at the deadline, and Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez was an enormous overpay by Cleveland, and then Harrison Bader was, um, Harrison Bader is, uh, probably wasn't available. The Yankees weren't really selling. So, I, I mean, I get it. Um, I, I don't disagree with you, David, on on the just the spirit of that. Is it, it kind of sucks? I understand it. Like, I mean, it's within the rules. It's the way MLB has it set up. So I don't know why. I don't know how a grievance being filed would really do anything. But they do need to change the rule in some way. Like, get put give back the waiver trade deadline. Like, I don't understand why they got rid of it to start with. It it, I, it was really kind of confusing that they just got rid of it. So just. I know that waiver trades can be kind of confusing and whatever, but you know it kind of gives an opportunity to a team if they go for it to go for it at the deadline, and then if they don't, then they can still maybe get something out of it, and uh, it probably kind of prevents these salary dumps like this without any kind of incentive. So, um, but yeah, I uh, I thought it was interesting, and uh, I I don't disagree with you, David. Yeah, so a couple things that we wanted to hit on part of this of of this story as well. So first of all, the angels might still get under the luxury tax because they had to place Max Stassi on the like um, restricted list for the rest of the year. So I th think the angels reporters are saying that's going to be enough to get them under, but yeah. that will be a story for a later day. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, also, they, there was another player from the angels claimed on waivers today. That was a, I think major league minimum guy. I don't know if that hundred or two hundred thousand dollars or whatever gets into the luxury tax. I don't know how much they lacked, but it might there with Stassi's move as yeah. well. Um, but part of that is what in the Lucas Giolito game he gave up another grand slam to Royce Lewis. Uh, if you remember me talking last week as my player of the week, Royce Lewis, he had hit back to back grand slams. Um, you know, right before that episode, he's hit two more this week, so now he has like four grand slams in the past week or two or something like that. Um, so he's been insane. Uh, and then a little piece of news that we had to break today uh, was that Terry Francona is most likely going to retire at the end of the year. Uh, sure. Sounds like he went on MLB uh, Sirius XM radio today. And basically he was on loud out show and was saying that he's basically told the front office people like it's time start preparing for it. I don't want this last month of the season to be a send off, but it's time. Like my body just can't take it anymore. So we're going to lose probably the one of the most fun managers in the game. One of the most kind of 
well-respected managers in the game. Terry Francona is going to have to retire at the end of the season due to some health issues. So, Yeah, Terry Francona to me is he's one of the best managers ever. I mean, he's he's been done an incredible job. He's always had great relationships with the, with the players. He's been a good clubhouse guy, and he, he's been a pretty good tactical manager for his career. I mean, he's won multiple World Series with the Red Sox. He went to a World Series and won like tons of games in Cleveland, and they perennially have one of the lower payrolls in baseball, but are still winning and. Terry Francona does definitely helps that. I don't think managers have as much influence as, as some people like to think they do on, on how well a team does. But um, but th- this was the case where, uh, you know, I, I think Terry Francona did have a lot of influence on that. So, um, you know, I, he definitely needs to retire. His, I know that his he's had all these health issues. And, I mean, I don't want to – I don't like seeing him put himself through that because – it, it just it, it's sad when you know when, when somebody has to go through all that with the with the with the health stuff. So I, I'm hopefully he um, is able to you know retire and maybe maybe Cleveland goes on a run here at the end of the season, but and is able to you know get him one more playoff appearance. But um, but yeah, I'm, uh, what a, what a career for him and it's it's pretty incredible. But um, sad to see him hang it up. It is, and you know he's he's. I'm seeing five division titles and two World Series championships for for Terry Francona. Definitely one of the you know all time great managers. Uh, I as much as you know you want to see a guy like that be able to manage to seventy seventy five, kind of like some of the other guys we've seen, like Bruce Bochy and uh, Joe Madden and some of those other you know what would you would consider like good managers, but he's just. You know, he we've run into health issues with him before. I'd much rather, you know, be able to hear him occasionally on on an MLB broadcast and uh, know he's doing all right than have him keep trying to push through these kind of you know things that keep popping up. So hopefully, uh, you know, he I think he'll be first ballot Hall of Fame manager. Honestly, I I don't I don't think we we don't we don't kind of elect Hall of Famers the same way as we do players, and it's hard to kind of judge it. But if you've won two World Series and a bunch of division titles. I feel like you're pretty, you're in pretty good shape as a, a manager in standing when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, Tito should absolutely be a Hall of Famer first ballot, and I really hope that he's able to stay around the game. If it's either in a front office role with the with the Guardians there, or if he's able to go do some like TV uh, with like MLB TV, be like a studio guy. Um, he's always been fantastic every time he gets on. Uh, mm-hmm. on one of those shows. So I really, really hope that we're able to keep Tito and, and his personality around the game and, and where fans are still able to appreciate what he's able to bring to the game. Cause he's one of the better minds that we've ever had, um, you know, in the dugout. So I uh, hate to see that he has to go through, you know, what he's had to go through the past few years with the health issues um, and forcing him to step away here from, from managing. Um, so when we were talking about that earlier, David, you kind of mentioned that the Reds also claim, or they claimed Harrison Bader and Hunter Renfro, um, Bader from the Yankees, Renfro from the Angels. Um, so you've already mentioned a little bit about their impact, but just wanted to confirm that they were actually claimed, um, by the Reds there. Um, and as far as the NL Central is concerned as well, the Brewers also did sign Josh Donaldson to a minor league deal, hoping to catch lightning in a bottle there, um, uh, you know, for their potential postseason. Uh, run. 
Josh Donaldson was having one of the weirdest years I think I've ever I, seen statistically. I was, I was just looking it up. He has 15 hits on the year and 10 home runs. Yeah, and he had a 076, right 076 Babbitt. He still had a 434 slugging percentage. Yeah, so had, I don't know what the problem with it was, but um, you know, it's possible that he could be a league average hitter. I think, and a lot of the projection systems say he is, and play, he almost he still was. plays really good. Yeah, he still plays really good defense. So I think that's a good signing by the Brewers. Um, I know that he's playing in AAA right now, kind of. Uh, kind of on a rehab assignment because it's a minor league deal, but he had missed a lot of time with injury. And um, if he's healthy, which has been a major question mark for Josh Donaldson throughout a lot of his career, uh, then I think he could find his way into the major leagues. And I mean, the Brewers need any offense that they can possibly get. And if you can get a Josh Donaldson who is feeling a little bit better, then I think that would be very helpful for them in their stretch run. So uh, we'll see what happens, and uh, but I look forward to seeing him at the, you know, maybe get to the big leagues and see what he can do. You know, it might be a factor of age, but I also think you know the report that we saw a few a few weeks ago from the Yankees with regard to how they they're kind of coaching their pit their hitters to hit, you know, kind of going all out for exit velocity and power. Donaldson may have been taking that directly to heart and that's kind of indicating the results you're seeing where he was just selling out for all home runs and nothing else and that's all he was getting and it's kind of clear you can't really make a, a career or even a season on just home runs even if you you get that far like we're, we're seeing it with Kyle Schwarber right now who's got a 191 batting average but he's got 40 home runs on the season and that'll kind of spark a debate on how how much selling out for power is too much where's that threshold where's that line um you know I don't think Schwarber's passed it yet I think him playing the field is the problem but in terms of Donaldson right the metrics still like him defensively even though he's 37 he might be able to moonlight out there at third base uh, and Andrew Monasterio is their current third baseman for the Brewers. I don't think he's holding anybody up. So I think Donaldson will be up, and uh, he's in the organization before the playoffs, so he might have something to say once the Brewers get in the playoffs. Yeah, and I, I think I saw something yesterday that Shorver has 40 homers and 39 singles. Is that – I think that's a, an actual stat right now. I will. Um, yes, it quickly. is. 40 yeah, homers, wow. 39 singles. Yeah. So – Maybe he's on the edge of, of selling out for the power. But, um, yeah, Donaldson, I mean, all he has to do is catch lightning in a bottle with these minor league deals. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he could still slug there. And, and the thing with Donaldson, too, is he's going to bring that, like, personality, that fiery personality to the team um, as well, which could, you know, in these playoff series, you might always need somebody like that to, to keep people in it and, and get them fired up. So uh, we'll see how that ends up. Uh, working out for the Brewers. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to the Julio Urias situation, and that is that he was arrested on Sunday night on felony domestic violence. He is now put on admin leave. This is not his first occurrence uh, with this. Uh, so apparently it was with bodily harm or bodily injury or something like that. Like, I guess it was a very serious uh, situation. So he's most likely done for the season. He was going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Uh, so he, his major league career is most likely over as well. Yeah. Julio Arias, um, he, 
I, I know that there was that situation back several years ago with him. I don't remember the details of it, but it was kind of one of those things where it seemed kind of like it may or may not have really been a serious thing he did. Like he, it could have been exaggerated or a misunderstanding of some kind. Uh, but uh, this is the second one, and assuming that the tr- that you know everything's true about it, um, sounds like he was actually arrested at a soccer game. Yeah, it was at um, the uh, LAFC game where yeah, Leo Messi was playing. Yeah, like that's pretty public, which kind of is crazy. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, Julio Arias is. I mean, I hope that if it's true that he's done because you know if it happens one time and it's kind of a misunderstanding, then it takes some time. But maybe it can be, you know, uh, you can forgive somebody for that over over time. But if you do it twice, and it's hell no. I mean, just you know, he's he should be done. So if if it's if that's the case, um, you know, from a baseball standpoint, this really hurts the Dodgers because Julio Arias has not have a great had not had a great year, but he's got a lot of postseason experience on a high level, and um, the Dodgers rotation is starting to look kind of murky uh, because without Julio Arias and Kershaw's come back and hasn't been great, he's he didn't look great tonight. Um, I know, Damien, you said before the show that you thought his velocity might be down a little bit. and He wasn't locating well. Like, that's kind of not great for him. And uh, they've, they're relying on a lot of, you know, young guys and rookies and everything um, and, and putting their hopes on Walker Bueller coming back from his second Tommy John surgery like three months before that typically happens. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens, but uh, this definitely hurts the Dodgers, and it just sucks for the everybody involved with you know his family. Um, sucks for them. I, I, you know, really thinking about them too. And um, man, I hope if this is all true that he just goes away. Yeah, it, the the hard part is the second time, right? Like yeah. you, you oftentimes players get one, and you get your your typical you know, adversity narrative, but once you get to two, man, it, it's just, there's, it, it's very difficult to find a way around this. And especially with the kind of public, more public case of him being arrested. I, I envision that a guy who was going for above $150 million payday this coming off season is not going to be getting any contracts from major league baseball coming forward. And it's disappointing, man. He's, he's a good pitcher with a lot of, a lot of past success. And uh, yeah, you can kind of, you pencil him out of the playoffs. You can pencil him out of the free agent pool next year. It's just, uh, it's a, it's just a bad situation, and it's, uh, it's he's the one to blame. It looks like too. So, uh, you know, me personally, I wouldn't be going out doing anything that might jeopardize my two hundred million dollar payday. But that's just it's a tough situation. Yeah, uh, Matt did mention there that Walker Buehler did start his rehab assignment this week. He threw two scoreless innings. Uh, Dave Roberts was talking today saying that he's going to need probably two to three more um, of them. I believe he's supposed to throw on Thursday or Friday. Um, and they're going to try and get another two to three innings out of him at that point. Um, and then go from there. I have a question. Hmm. It may be, it may be very easily answerable. It may be not. Why wouldn't the, the Dodgers who are fairly assured of their scenario, their situation in the NL West as NLS champions and the number two seed, why would they not just bring Walker Bueller up here and pitch him in one to two inning spurts and stretch him out in at the major league level? Like go ahead and give him the, 
the the major league you know people around him and get him going it's you're gonna give him rehab starts in triple a at triple a parks with triple a equipment instead of just pulling him up where the games don't really matter anyway i i don't i don't i don't understand that i just think it's more about you don't tax the bullpen because the bullpen's already been taxed enough as it is with the younger starters that they already have um and now you're losing julio as well it's going to be another like thing of where the bullpen's going to have to pick up more of the slack and if you know that bueller's only going to be able to go two innings and then you're having to to throw somebody after that like it's probably that situation. I mean, you could probably line it up where it's like Bueller goes for two or three and then it's Yarborough the rest of the game. Um, but that's what I do. But they've been piggybacking well, Yarborough off of like Kershaw or off of like Pepio um, or off something like that. So I, I would assume it's just because of they have so many young starters right now that they don't want well, I, to tax the bullpen more. I can tell you, I can tell you what I think the reasoning behind that and rehab assignments in general is that. You know, if you're if you're watching, if you're a if you're a major league baseball pitcher and you're pitching in double, high A or something, like you're literally there just to get your work in. You don't care about the result at all. Like it doesn't yeah, matter. That's true. And you're wanting to get your work in, and you want to just build up. You don't want to be overdoing it, overthrowing, uh, get that adrenaline really high and, and everything. And then when you get to the major leagues, if you're trying to, you're going to try really hard at the major league, even though, even if it is games that don't really matter that much in the grand scheme of things, because you're probably going to be the two seed no matter what. Like, you're if you come up to the big leagues, like he's going to be throwing as hard as he possibly can, max effort, like just uh, you know, and and not just getting the work in that he needs. Like he's not going to be able to throw five sliders in a row to work it, work on the slider a little bit. If it's, if it's not, if he doesn't have the feel for it yet. Like that's the kind of stuff that I think that, um, that I think that that would be the reasoning behind that. Cause I've kind of wondered the same thing with, with some guys like Kyle Wright or, and, and I, and I'll tell you a good example, um, Mike Soroka coming back this year, like when he's pitching at the major league level, it's, you can tell he's trying really hard. He's pressing and mm-hmm. it's not going well. Like tonight he's given up five runs to a crappy team. So, but when he's been in the minor leagues, he's been able to just work on his pitches and, and the focus is more on him instead of the team winning. And, the result that's, so no that's a, that's a good point that's kind of what i was going for is yeah i think that's that's a fair point you know and we we also i mean we mentioned it a few weeks ago but tony gonsolin's also down for the season for the dodgers yeah i just figured they could they could use bueller as an opener and then go to one of the young guys grove or pepio or maybe even not a young guy but yarborough um you know, and just let Bueller get his first two innings, get ready for the playoffs and be able to stretch him out by the end. But, you know, we'll, we'll see where he is. You know, I guess it just depends on the player too. And, and Soroka has been out for a long time too. I, I think oh, yeah. that that may be, that's not helping him at all. So. Oh no. I mean, Soroka, like, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if you got a guy, even if it, even if it's just a, you know, coming off of Tommy Johnny's been out a year with Walker Bueller's case, like mm-hmm. it just to me, like you want them to come back and work themselves into it and just, kind of focus on making sure that they're repeating their mechanics and, you know, not focusing so much on results when they get up, uh, I think is kind of the big thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to talking about Ronald Acuna's season. Uh, so this past weekend, he hit the 30 homer, 60 steal mark. Um, Matt, you'll know a lot more about it, though it's the first time in a very long time. But um, uh, well, A very long time, ever. Is it ever? 
Yeah, I mean, the first 30, 30, 60 season ever. No. Um, there were two 30, 50 seasons. I believe it was okay. Eric, Eric it Davis. Eric Davis was one. And the other one might have been Willie Mays. It was, it was somebody from that era. Um, so, and then Ronald Acuna Jr. now has 30, 60. And the, with, you know, he's had a pretty good week hitting home runs. He's kind of got a shot at 40 home runs so you know he'd have to be hot for the rest of the season but he could he could end up in that 40s maybe even 70 stolen base club i don't know how much he'll run over the last month because the braves are up so big you don't want him getting hurt but um it'll be interesting but man it's he's just been so fun to watch this year and he hit a ball 121 mile per hour for a home run on saturday uh which which was this it was the (laughs) third hardest hit ball um third hardest hit home run ball in the Statcast era, which is pretty crazy. I mean, um, he's just been a really, really fun to watch. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, last week there's been a lot of MVP talk. And I think last week, you know, Mookie Betts might have passed, caught him and, and might have passed him a little bit. And I think Ronald Acuna kind of leveled it off and maybe ticked back in front of the MVP race. Um, you know, the defensive metrics really don't like Ronald, which hurt him in war. But you yep. know, his offensive season is incredible, and, and the stolen bases and that historic aspect of the 30-60 really is putting him in a, a good position. So we'll see what happens over the last month, but it's just been a fun-to-watch season, and, and it's something that's never happened before. 30-60, it's pretty crazy. I want to mention that Ronald Acuna has also dropped his strikeout rate below 12%. <laughs> you talked about how he cut it in half down to 12 and a half percent. It's now lower, right? This guy is doing things that I did not expect to ever see from anybody, much less, a, a you know, a guy who's the prominent player on a, you know, a contending, a World Series contending team. And, you know, the Atlanta Braves are the one seed. Ronald Acuna is, you know, the, a big reason as to why he scored 123 runs as we start September which is the major league lead by six over Mookie Betts. So, you know, and and you wonder if Mookie Betts and Freddie are also kind of pulling votes from each other, at least, you know, mentally those two are together up top. Acuna is kind of by himself when it comes to wins above replacement. So with, within, with regards to fellow Braves, Matt Olson's sitting back at like four wins above replacement. So, you know, I in terms of MVP, I think I like the the historic season. Let's see how high up Acuna can get. I think forty seventy is in play. Uh, he's at sixty three stolen bases, thirty two homers. He just needs to go on a little bit of a tear to get to to uh, another milestone. But yeah, I, I looked it up. Eric Davis had a thirty seven homer, fifty stolen base season. This would now be a better mark than that. Um, better than any anything Ricky Henderson did in terms of stolen base time and you know, home run numbers together. It's um, you know, better than anything Barry Bonds did. Just a a remarkable and historic season from from Ronald Acuna. And it's the type that you know, like w- what we saw with Aaron Judge. It's the type that it that that can win you an award, um, even if maybe you aren't exactly the best player in your league per wins above replacement specifically. So. Yeah, that's that's about it. But he, he yeah, that's a, this is a crazy season from from Ronald Acuna, and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention it. You know, a couple more times down the stretch here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump over to the call ups that we had this week. Uh, the first one being the New York Yankees called up um, 
per Fangraphs number 34 overall prospect, uh, Jason Dominguez and catcher Austin Wells uh, to the major league roster. Dominguez proceeded to come in and in his first at bat hit a opposite field homer off Justin Verlander. Um, and then I believe on Sunday he had a, another three run go ahead homer um, yep. as well. So he's made a big impact, uh, you know, as one of the highly touted prospects, he was the guy who was number one international free agent a couple of years ago. He was supposed to be the next superstar, um, and he's off to a good start for sure. Yeah, he, he is off to a good start. Um, he's a guy who he was, they called him the Martian, and because uh-huh. there was no chance he was from this planet, they said. Um, so. He was just, he's been a super, super hyped international guy since he signed. And he's been pretty good uh, in the Yankee system. I, I think some of the shine wore off of him. You know, I think a lot of the evaluators kind of thought he wasn't quite the same kind of rotational athlete that he might be with the, um, with, you know, a, as he is a, um, just a, you know, a, a power speed or just having strength and speed. And he was already kind of filled out completely. But he's, um, you know, he's done fairly well in the minor leagues. He's continued to adjust in the minor leagues. It seems like he kind of gets better as the season goes on over his last few years. And uh, this year in, in double A, he was doing pretty well. Um, had a 117 WRC plus in uh, 109 games. They called him up to triple A and he just went on a tear for his nine games in triple A. And they just went ahead and said, well, We'll try the majors, and he's been pretty good in his first uh, first week. Um, he had the two ho- the, that homer on his first at bat. He's had two homers this week, but uh, you know he, he's been he, he's kind of held his own so far. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's he's only got fifteen plate appearances, so um, but it's been uh, fun to watch him. Um, you know, I know Yankees fans are excited to get to see a couple of their young guys come up. Him and then Austin Wells, and then also Everson uh, Pereira, who came up. A couple weeks ago, um, who we talked about before, but Austin Wells also he probably wasn't quite as highly touted as a prospect, and he's really uh, you know he wasn't doing super well in the minor leagues. So, uh, but they called him up, and I think it's kind of more of a cup of coffee for him. I don't think there's too much chance he stays up right at this point, like for next year. They'll probably try to find somebody else at catcher, but you never know. Um, but I, I do think there's a chance Jason Dominguez can, can stick around. Uh, he's only 20 years old too, which is pretty crazy. It's one of the youngest players in the, in the big leagues. So we'll see what happens. Um, but kind of an interesting couple of call-ups for the, for the Yankees and uh, in a lost season, maybe they can find something to look forward to in the future. Yeah. I mean, uh, these are two very different, I think, call-ups you know, decisions, right? You've got Austin Wells, who is a very defensive minded catcher in in the minor leagues right now. And, you know, his his grades for fielding were bad, but I think he's really stepped forward the last couple of seasons in terms of evaluators. Uh, and I think he's more of a defensive guy at this point. Not sure how well that, that bat translates. And if it can even be a, a league average bat with, you know, uh, you know, Yankee Stadium on top of, you know, him handling a Yankees pitching staff. I think he's got that kind of makeup that uh, teams are going to want to see in a, in a catcher. You also got, uh, you know, Dominguez, who's this big hulking guy who hits the ball really hard. Uh, but the big question is, can he make contact? And I, I like Jason Dominguez a lot. I think he's the type of guy who can who can be that difference maker, the big 
power hitting, you know, uh, Luis Robert almost to an extent, but maybe with a little less defense, uh, where even regardless of plate approach, he just hits for so much power that it doesn't matter. Um, what he does at the plate. That's kind of the type of guy I expect Jason Dominguez to be. Yeah, but, you know, we're three games into his career. He's already hit two home runs. That's that's impressive. But we go back to this this Yankees development staff. Can they get more than just a guy who hits ball hard out of Jason Dominguez? And that's a big question, right? They got it out of Aaron Judge. You know, we talked about it with Pereira. Can they do it with Jason Dominguez as well? And I think Dominguez is the, the most... Uh, highly touted of of the the three guys I just named there. So, you know, J- Judge wasn't a huge prospect back even then. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm wondering. And then also, I wanted to check because I think Pereira struggled pretty mightily. Yeah, yeah, forty forty two percent forty two percent strikeout rate since he came up. Fifty one plate appearances. Yeah, I, I think that yeah, the, that's a Yankees. Uh, trait it's not a it's not a bug it's it's what they expect is these guys to have big strikeout numbers but they're getting they're going for that physicality and it works for some guys like Aaron Judge who is able to you know parlay a 30% strikeout rate into an MVP season but I I don't know if uh if anyone else is going to be able to do that yeah so let's go ahead and stay in New York uh and that's with the Mets calling up their number 4 ranked prospect per Fangraphs 58 overall uh infielder Ronnie Mauricio who has also had a pretty good start to his uh, major league career so far in 3 games he's went 5 for 11 with a 455 uh batting average uh, and a 182 WRC plus. So another guy, I know there had been some question marks about Mauricio's, you know, care of the game uh, earlier this year, but he's come up and looked pretty solid so far for the Mets. Yeah. Ronnie, Ronnie Mauricio is kind of a positionless guy who um, has hit the ball extremely hard in AAA. He's been a little inconsistent, and he's got a 107 WRC plus in AAA on the season. Mets fans have been calling for him to be in the big leagues all year, but he's got major approach concerns, and the positionlessness of him is uh, something that there's been some concern about. Um, and we'll see what happens with him. Uh, he's he's one of those guys that it's almost like a little bit like Javi Baez esque with the with the walk rate, <laughs> like and the strikeout rate, like you know the strikeout rates in AAA weren't all that bad, but like he's projected to have a. I've never seen Zips project a guy to have less than four percent walk rate, and that's what they project Ronnie Mauricio to have. So we'll see if he's able to be be successful at that, um, you know, with that profile, but. He's going to really have to hit for a lot of power if, unless he learns how to take some pitches and walk. He's going to have to hit like 40 home runs a year for it to work. And I just – I don't know. I, I think there's probably going to be too much swing and miss for that. He chases a ton. But uh, like I say, he hits the ball extremely hard. He's very athletic. He had 24 stolen bases and 23 homers in AAA. So this is a guy who's probably one of those like upside is through the roof guys that – you know, we'll see if he's able to put it all together. Yeah, the big question for well, really, the the fit is good for New York, right? Yeah. The, the New York Mets lineup is a lineup that has lacked the pop besides Pete Alonso. Um, that you know, 
he provides, right? The athleticism, the big pop. This is a counter. This is like a counterpoint to Jeff McNeil. <laughs> you know, like, yes, right? Jeff McNeil, good, you know, good utility fielder, doesn't really have a position, but he's very much a put the bat on the ball kind of guy. Ronnie Mauricio is a positionless fielder. He could probably play all over. He could probably play, you know, second base, third base, moonlight at shortstop and play both corner outfield spots to some extent. Um, but he is going to hit the ball a, a million miles an hour and all the time and, you know, not be taking any pitches. So good counter. And I think he'll fit in the Mets lineup nicely in a couple of years. It, it, it will be, you know, to be seen whether this is a, a quick flame out type of player or whether it's a, a sustainable player that can earn a starting role, uh, especially defensively. I, you know, if he can carve out that defensive, the, the defensive home, which I think he, he's got the athleticism to do, especially at second base or third base. Um, you know, then I think you, you can kind of take the bad with the good in terms of the approach. I think he'll get to league average or better. Um, overall, and he'll be kind of like a Joey Gallo. You know, we mentioned Kyle Schwarber. These guys, a lot of the story in baseball right now is is these big pro- these prospects with so many big loud tools that are selling out for power. Who is the one that hits? We will have to see. And we're going to talk about another one right now. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go ahead and jump to that one, and that's with the Chicago Cubs calling up and Alexander Canario. Uh, he hasn't yet played in the major leagues. Uh, but David, tell us why this is a good feel-good story. It is a really good story, and it is because last year Alexander Canario led minor leagues in home runs. Uh, he wasn't really getting the prospect hype; he was kind of cracking into the back end of of prospect lists. But he shot from high A to triple A last year with thirty-seven home runs, which led the minor leagues across all three. That said, this is a guy who strikes out a lot. Uh, he's got a really, really high bat speed swing that is really, really fun to watch. And it's the kind of swing where you see a video of him hitting a ball and you listen to the sound and you go, holy crap, (laughs) this guy is going to be really special. But then you look at his strikeout rate and it's like, oh, he's going to strike out every time, isn't he? Um, he, in last year in winter ball in, I think the Dominican Republic, I might be wrong about that. He broke his ankle and tore a tendon in his shoulder, had to have two surgeries uh, and was out of the game until July when he started making rehab starts. He's gotten 161 plate appearances back in AAA, and he hit eight home runs, and I think seven of them are in like the last two weeks where he looks just like himself. So, you know, the Cubs have called him up once September hit. He hasn't played, and I everyone's kind of like, why haven't the Cubs played him yet? You know, it'd be nice to see what he's got, but I think the Cubs are kind of matchup protecting him. He's very much a raw player where he's only got a few hundred triple A plate appearances. He's only got, you know, like 250 triple A plate appearances. This is a guy who needs time. And I think they're just getting his service clock started as kind of a thank you for, you know, working hard, getting yourself back and looking like the player you were before. Uh, They might give him a few plate appearances here and there, but I think anything that happens here in September is the Cubs saying this is a guy we feel is a, is a major league caliber player, Uh, you know, teams with, you know, tradable assets. You might want to look at this guy. So we'll, we'll see what that, what happens, but I, I would wager he plays more major league innings with another team than the Cubs, given the Cubs strength in outfield and the fact that Canario is, maybe major league ready, but definitely not getting any opportunities right now. Yeah. He was part of the Chris Bryant trade, right? 
Yes, he was. Yeah, so he's kind of part of that return, and uh, yeah. I, mean, I, I kind of agree with David to a certain extent. I, I think he's obviously knows more about the prospect than I do. I don't know if I love him getting called up to the big leagues because he's only played forty six games this year, or he's actually sorry, he's played fifty three games total this year in the minor leagues. Like this, some, sometimes you can call up one of those prospects and sit him on the bench and just give him a cup of coffee in September if they've played the whole minor league season. But I feel like Alexander Canario is a guy who really needs at bats still. Yeah. And that I know that he was killing it in AAA, and I don't know if the Cubs felt like they could help it, that it would help them at the big league level right now. But obviously, they don't really seem to be using him. So I don't think it does anybody any good except for his paycheck, which I'm sure is nice for him. But um, to just be sitting on the big league bench, like I, I think yeah. that sometimes. He needs to keep getting at bats and keep, um, you know, keep developing because, you know, he he was good in Triple A, but he had a one ten WRC plus and he had that hot stretch. But he, you know, it was it, it, there's still work to be done. He struck out thirty percent of the time in the, in the minors this year, so uh, roughly. So it's like, you know, there's still things to work on. And um, but he needs if you're gonna call him up, calling him up is not the worst idea. But you need to play him. I mean, he, yeah, he needs to play he needs some, time. Uh, maybe four or five times a week. Maybe you don't need to play him every single day, but uh, and platooning him, I, I don't really like either. I mean, if it's because I, you know, he needs to get at bats against left, or, or he needs to get at bats against lefties and righties. I mean, it's yeah, you know, he needs mm-hmm. to he needs to get both. So I want to note that Canario is not the same type of prospect as Dominguez and. Pereira and some of those and uh, Mauricio, he he walks a ton. He's got a really oh, yeah. good plate approach. It's just very much one of them Joey Gallo plate approaches with a ton of walks, ton of strikeouts, ton of homers. So, uh, so before we jump to players of the week, um, it's a rare occurrence that we usually have this, but um, we kind of have a developing story in the middle of the show right now. Uh, it is the third inning in Texas right now. Houston has nine runs, and Jose Altuve has already hit three homers. Good grief! Um, and it's only in the it's at the bottom of the third. They've scored three runs in the first, the second, and the third. Houston has. Uh, so we're on legit four homer watch. Um, we've talked about Altuve last week. Got super hot hitting for the cycle, and today he's hit for three homers in three innings so far. Um, two of them coming off of Nate Eovaldi, who was making his return from the IL, um, and then one off of Dane Dunning. So, uh, if he hits the fourth one, we'll be sure to follow up with that next is, week. But, but is uh, what's more surprising, him hitting three homers, or the fact that Martin Maldonado hit one? Maldonado. <laughs> yeah, probably Maldonado with uh, with how hot Altuve's been, but yeah, so. That's a developing story. We'll update that if he hits the fourth one um, next week. But I thought it was a pretty fun thing to jump in there with. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump to players of the week now. So, David, who do you got for your player this week? Yeah, I so I mentioned it last week. The last Tuesday would have been his first start of the, the last week, and it was Justin Steele. Um, he got hit on the leg in the second inning and was looking a little shaky before that. Uh, buckled down shut down, I believe it was the Brewers, and then on Sunday went out and, or it might have been yesterday, Monday, went out and shut the Giants out with a two-hitter, eight innings, 12 strikeouts, easily the best start of his career. And uh, Justin Steele's looking like a Cy Young favorite in the National League. 
He's tied with Spencer Strider in in wins. He's got a lower ERA. The only one who's got a lower ERA in all of Major League Baseball among qualified starters is Blake Snell. Uh, and Steele's, you know, pitching as the ace for a, a current playoff team Cubs. And for years, man, all Cubs fans wanted was a was a homegrown ace caliber starter. And uh, Justin Steele is that dude, man. He is having a whale of a year. I'm super, super happy. But it was it's really that dog that, you know, gets hit on the leg and is just like, no, I'm good. I'm staying in this game and, and going out and, and shutting down the Brewers for a win and then going out and, you know, Maybe there's a little residual bruising from that, that getting hit on the leg, but he didn't care, and he had his best start of his career, even when it was hot, wind was blowing out, and, and he didn't give the Giants anything yesterday. So, player of the week, Justin Steele, monster week, monster season. I'm really excited for uh, for the potential for him to get a you know a game one start in the playoffs. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, see how he closes out the season and, and what it looks like in the playoffs, but I... Um... The guy I picked is a guy who from the Rangers who they traded for before last year. He was kind of expected to be one of those additions to come in and really hit well, and it's kind of been a struggle for him. He's dealt with some injuries, and it's just it hadn't worked out for him there. But over the past week, he's been really good. That's Mitch Garver. Uh, Mitch Garver over the past week has hit 389 with a 542 on base and a 1.056 slugging with uh, four homers in the last week, seven RBIs, six runs scored. Uh, that's in six games and uh, a 306 WRC plus, which was second to Jordan Walker in uh, all of baseball over the past week. And he's been pretty, uh, pretty good for, for the last week on the season. It, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, he, he's, he's hit really, really, really well, but it's only been in 64 games. So, um, you know, it's a guy who he's a catcher and they've had Jonah Himes been banged up a bit and it's been a, uh, you know, it's been good to see Mitch Garver have a good season after what happened last year. Yeah, Mitch Garver, we, you know, he's somebody who had that big breakout season and then has just battled the injuries ever since. And you just wanted to see him finally get healthy and get that chance again. Um, and he's kind of showed that this year a little bit um, and showed that he could still be an impactful hitter. Um, they've done a, you know, job at platooning with Haim and Sam Huff and that, but um, Garver can still be a masher. So hopefully he's able to, uh, to continue that. Uh, so the guy that I went with this week, I think I picked him a couple weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, he just had such a good week again. And that's Trey Turner. Um, he hit five homers this week, 13 RBIs, uh, two stolen bases, a 379 average led the, um, led the league in war with 0.8 this last week, 268 WRC plus. Um, and he's really been kind of having this level of production for the last month. Uh, the last month he's had 361 average, a 1156 OPS, 11 homers, uh, four steals, 28 RBIs at that point. Uh, he's now raised his season line to 262, 761 um, average and OPS, 22 homers, 25 steals. Um, you know, already more homers than he hit last year in LA, only two steals behind that. Um, so he's kind of really turning into the Trey Turner we know and love. Um, maybe if you're not an NL East fan, so maybe Matt hates him, but, um, yeah, so the, the, the week he's had, it, it's been fun to see Trey Turner playing like, like his old self again, and, uh, really has been for kind of the past month. 
Yeah, you're right. I despise Trey Turner. <laughs> he is he is a notorious Braves killer over, and he's a, he's always been a fantastic player against everybody, but like especially against the Braves, it's pretty remarkable. Except for the 2021 postseason, remarkably. I, think I don't. I don't the, remember what happened there. <laughs> at least the uh, you know the Phillies fans can feel good about that that signing. I think now I think a lot of them were pretty scared that these next 10 years were going to be, or I guess nine and a half years were going to be a bit scary with regards to Trey Turner's performance. If he was going to start it off like this, but he's pretty clearly getting right. And, uh, you know, on his way to having a, another solid season, if, if not spectacular. And, um, you know, I think he'll be, he'll be right back into it next year with, uh, regards to his you know performance. Ironically, this hot, um, his hot, uh, God, I can't even speak. Uh, his hot stretch here uh, coincided with when he got a standing ovation in Citizens Bank Park. So I don't think that's a coincidence at all that he finally got a standing ovation there, and now he's been on this run ever since then. Um, so maybe just uh, feel the acceptance of the Philly fans. But um, I think that's going to wrap it up for the show, unless you guys got anything else you want to hit on or, or close up on real quick. Um, Not too much. Uh, you know, it's September, and, you know, just quickly looking at the standings, the races are still pretty good. The, you know, the AL West race is still crazy. But the Mariners, Astros, and Rangers all within one game. Uh, the NL Central still up for grabs with the Cubs, and still the Reds kind of. Uh, being in there a little bit, uh, but definitely the the Cubs and Brewers being at the top there, uh, and the AL East, the Rays still have a shot to to get to catch the Orioles, but um, you know three and a half games, three three weeks ish, a little over three weeks, so um, it's gonna be an interesting finish to the season, and uh, we'll look, look forward to it. David, you got anything else you wanna wanna close up on? No, I think we're good. Um, yeah, ready to go next week yeah alrighty so thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Batfoot Podcast and we will catch you guys back next week 